Welcome back. The final season preview. Adam and Kurt running the microphone pick and roll. Kurt, how do you feel? We're, we're going to the last one of the previews. I'm feeling good, especially because this gives me an opportunity to uh, say some not-so-nice things about our number five team, Adam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you said that you, could, that you could see this number five team being the worst team in basketball. I could, and it wouldn't break my heart. All right, now what do you have against uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder? <laughs> oh, man, a lot of things. Uh, so... I have been a Celtics fan my entire life, but I've grew up and grown up in the uh, Seattle suburbs. Oh, there it is! So, there it is! So it's, it's <laughs> one of those things, you know, when when you get a new owner for the Sonics and he says he's going to keep the team around and he says, "Oh, I'm going to do my best," you know, I love the fans here, I love the environment, and everyone knew he was going to move them, then he moves them. So it, it's like you know, Clay Bennett, if you were to have uh, some terrible, I guess it wouldn't be successful. <laughs> You know, if you, if you experience some misfortunes over the first uh, 13, 14 years of having the franchise in Oklahoma City, I don't think a lot of people in the uh, 206, 360, 425, 509 area codes would mind. All right. Yeah. That's, Oklahoma City Thunder, bad at basketball. Uh, what do you call them? The Zombie Sonics? The Zombie Sonics. Yeah, they're very bad. Um, the thing is, I'm all in on SGA. Uh, I, and I also really like Lou Dort. Uh, I think Pokachevsky could emerge. He actually had a pretty good uh, finish to the season. And so I think they've like got some pieces. Some people really like Darius Baisley. I, okay, cool. Isaiah Roby. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, but I do think that when you have a guy like SGA, and if he's good as I think he is, like they're going to steal some games. Uh, Pokachevsky needs to, he's got to, he's got to put on some weight. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. He's, he's kind of a twig out there, seven foot one ninety. Uh, but the guys started to show some potential down the stretch. He had a few memorable games. He had a 20 point, uh, game against the Phoenix Suns. He had a 25 point game against, uh, the Charlotte Hornets, uh, 21 point game against the Dallas Mavericks, 23 point game against the Grizzlies. Uh, rebound numbers never were great, though. Um, yeah, I'm seeing like one 10 rebound game all season, actually. Uh, he had a 13 rebound game against the Bulls in the preseason, but he's going to get pushed around if he doesn't kind of body up. Uh, I've already talked more about him than he might deserve. Uh, the guy who really deserves conversation is Shea Gilgis Alexander. And so in a few years, when the Thunder have all their like 30 million draft picks, um, SGA might be, I don't know, 27 years old or so. Like looking at looking down the line four years, like if SGA devo- develops the way I think he can, then you're talking about the leader of a stupid stacked young team. They have so many assets. Uh, last year, he only played 35 games, but in that stretch, 42% from three, uh, 24 points a game, six assists, five rebounds. I think he's someone who uh, just kind of has that like killer mentality. Uh, he's not afraid to take a game over. He's going to win them some games, but the team sucks. 
So I got them actually at the exact same uh, win total as they did last year because I think they also lost some guys who helped them uh, last year. Even Al Horford, who didn't play a ton with them, like Al Horford's out of the mix now. Uh, last year, they were 28th in points per game at only 105, and they were 26 in points a game. And so on an average night, they lost by almost 11 points. That's really, really bad. But, uh, you know, I expect SGA to play more games, but I'm thinking they got 22 wins just like they did last year. I have them at 20, so 20 and 62. Uh, as I mentioned, this could be the worst team in basketball for sure, which is fine because it's not a team that's built to win now. Uh, 18 first round picks and 18 second round picks in the coming year. So this is a team that's obviously going to be wheeling and dealing, uh, you know, maybe come uh putting together some picks in a package for established stars down the road. Cause certainly you're not going to have 36 dudes uh, try to make the team and, you know, figure out who to cut, who to keep over the next few years. They obviously uh, have too many trade uh, pieces at this point, um, but extending SGA for five years, is a huge deal for them. Uh, Josh Giddy from everything I've heard uh, high ceiling for him, the sixth overall pick in the draft, even though his numbers in Australia uh, weren't necessarily you know, you know, something to write home about, uh, shot kind of a low percentage there in the Australian league. Um, but from what I've heard, uh, it could be a really good piece for them. The sixth overall pick in this year's draft 30th in offensive rating and 24th in, in defensive rating. So they're bad on both sides of the ball, but again, this is to be expected. This isn't something where Sam Presti is like, Hey, we're going to win now. Uh, you know, Chris Paul is gone. They made that surprise playoff run a couple of years ago, but this I think is what th- they're, doing what they want to do and everything is going according to plan. And it's just a matter of, you know, what will they do over the next two, three seasons? Who will they bring in? Who will they coach up? Who's going to develop? And I think that we're really going to figure out what this team is in like three, four, five years or so. But right right now, there's not a whole lot to say. That's all I have to say. Uh, A little bit more to say about the Timberwolves, who's next on our list. And so let me uh, just tell you a couple things about the Timberwolves. So last year, they were uh, pretty bad. They were 23 and 49. However, 16 of those 23 wins uh, came with Chris Finch when he took over as their head coach. So under Finch, they were 16 and 25, which is way different than looking at that team for the entire season. Like once they got a good coach, they started to play better. And then if you continue to look at some of those splits, uh, they were actually a really dangerous offensive team down the stretch in their uh, final 24 games. So in April, the 16 games they played in April, they averaged 116 points per game. Uh, The eight games they played in May, they averaged 122. And so those numbers, you know, obviously indicative of uh, offense with great potential, They shot 42%. I don't think they'll do that over the whole season, but they shot 42% from three in May, 39% from three in April. And so I think they started to build an identity. And so I just think it's important that we consider the context uh, that basically the Timberwolves did start to get it together. It's not going to be perfect, but there's a reason that we both have them above the thunder, even though we probably don't have them anywhere near the playoffs. 
No, I have them substantially better than the Thunder. Um, I have them at 32 and 50, which I know is still not a great record, but I have them in my rankings, 12 wins above the Thunder. Um, and I, I want to just kind of expand off of what you already said. So bad offensively and defensively over the course of last season, but that doesn't really paint the whole picture of what this team was. They started 7-24 and 24 under Ryan Saunders. So they got off to a really, really bad start. But they finished the season, and I know that this isn't like a great mark if you were to put this on other teams, but they finished 11-11, and 11, which is, you know, playing 500 ball for a team that's rebuilding and trying to figure out what they are. I think that that is, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. So you have Carl Anthony Towns, you have D'Angelo Russell, you mm-hmm. have Anthony Edwards, and they're kind of big three there, per se, only played eight games together last year. So that's definitely not something that's going to help you win a lot of games when you just don't have that continuity. So many people are missing. So in theory, these three play more than eight games together. And Mm -hmm. when you have them on the floor, that's going to hopefully just based on their individual talent result in more wins. And I think they have to stay healthy because that was obviously a major issue for them last year. Malik Beasley, also a really good player for them, whether he's in the starting lineup or coming off the bench um, and doing some research didn't play with those three together, so Cat, Russell, uh, D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Malik Beasley, they never played together at all last year because Beasley had a hamstring injury. So you even throw him into the mix, and they could really elevate themselves, uh, you know, throughout the division, throughout the league. And as you mentioned, Adam, Chris Finch, I think that's a big deal just because they were trending in the right direction toward the end of the season. Can they yeah. work that into the next season? After finishing strong, having a quality offseason in terms of guys getting healthy, bringing people back, um, you know, can they just build upon that finish last year? I think that's going to be key for them. And the final point that I have, this is kind of a like, do they keep the what they have together or do they blow it up? And I hope that they don't blow it up. But the reason I put that in there is Carl Anthony Towns seems to be increasingly more fed up. Um, just with the organization. So if they can all kind of just keep a level head, if they can all just buy into the process and if, God, I hate saying that with the Sixers, but if they can really buy in to what they have and focus in on this still relatively young core with Kat, Angela Russell and Anthony Edwards, then I think that they're trending in the right direction for sure. But it would really suck if they were to trade uh, a Russell or Cat or, or any of those pieces like that, because then they're taking a major step back and then they have to do it all over again. But right now, I think that you have to like the optimism of what this team can be if you're a Timberwolves fan. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, Cat is the X factor because he has all the potential to, I mean, he has the potential to be the best center in the NBA. You know, uh, the guy is already phenomenal. He's super versatile. He's a 39% seven foot shooting center. Like that's outstanding. That didn't happen a decade or two ago. Um, He's also a very good passer, just under five assists per game, uh, 11 rebounds per game. Uh, I think he's evolving into a better defender. Uh, But another guy I really like on this team is Nas Reed. And Reed out of LSU, just kind of like a new school old schooler, you know, like he's got that like old school build, 6'9, 264, uh, just a total brick wall. But 
one of the more underrated players last year. Uh, you know, he, he had uh, 11 points per game, 35% from three. And I want to see Nas and Cat on the floor a little bit more together. I am going to have to pull up Nas's per 36 uh, minutes because I'm interested to see uh, what those look like. But all in all, you know, you look at this team and you got some dogs like D'Angelo Russell can ball. Patrick Beverly is going to be really important to bringing in uh, that defensive element. And I think he's like a good dude to instill some toughness in a team that needs that without being a Jimmy Butler that's going to you know, like take over a practice and scream at everyone and have Carl Anthony Towns crying. You know, uh, Anthony Edwards starting to look like Dwayne Wade a little bit last year. Like we saw how special he can be and uh, a nice little shooter. I love the athleticism of Jaden McDaniels and what that could translate to in the fast break when you consider what he can do with D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards and uh, Towns. So like this is a team that's going to be able to space the floor well. Uh, they got a lot of athletes and I'm – I'm not thinking uh, playoffs by any stretch. I think best case scenario, they're like flirting with a play in, but like don't even get there. But all right, I got Nas Reed. So per 36 last year, Nas Reed's 21 points per game uh, and uh, 8.6 rebounds. So like that's a solid piece to have. And I do think he continues to take a step forward because he's only 22 years old. Uh, so Big Jelly is his nickname, and uh, Big Jelly, I think, is going to continue to kind of like carve out a little bit more of a role. I get them right at 35, and the line's uh, 35 and a half. Wow, I'm surprised people are that high on them, but I guess if you... you know, the line's that, 34 and a half, excuse me. Okay, so if you keep that core together and they, you know everyone stays healthy, I, I could see them getting close to that number for sure. Yeah, they're, uh, they're going to beat teams. Any team that like they that sleeps on them, like the Timberwolves are going to come out and score. Yeah, my, my reservation is just I just don't think that they're going to keep their core together or, you know, someone is going to cause a headache or maybe someone gets traded. But as it is right now on, on paper, as we record on uh, what October 13th year, um, it's it's a team that's, again, trending in the right direction. You got to like what you see if you're a, a Timberwolves fan. Beautiful. Anything else on them? No, let's get to number three. All right. Here we are. The Bill Walton, the letter O, whatever, uh, Portland Trailblazers. And yeah, man, you want to talk about a team where a lot could change. Um, I don't think that he's going to be moved. I think he's going to finish the season. I think I know who I think, you know, who I'm talking about. Yeah, Damian Lillard, there's – I have so many thoughts on this team. And they're – in my opinion, they're the most frustrating team in the league because of – I mean, just a handful of things. But, like, you get rid of Terry Stotts, which I, I understood. I think that they kind of just plateaued with him. So you have to bring in a new philosophy. And they bring in Chauncey Billups, who was a really good basketball player. Uh, obviously won a title with the Pistons. Uh, you know, first time being a head coach. We'll see what you get out of him. But the thing that I think is just so hilarious, and I know it's really tough to bring in quality vets and good pieces to Portland. You kind of have to build through the draft as well because they're a small market club. But Damian Lillard in the offseason when all, all these rumors are 
circling about, okay, do they get rid of him? What do they do? He says, as is, wasn't good enough. And this was after last season. And then listen to the pieces that they brought in. Larry Nance Jr., Cody Zeller, Tony Snell, and Ben McLemore. It's like, okay, they saw that like they can't run it back, but they didn't exactly bring in great pieces. They're going to help them out either. So it's, I mean, I know that the Norman Powell edition was really good last year in the middle of the season. They got Gary Jr. Obviously Powell is an upgrade there. Especially Um, defensively. Yeah. Which is where they really struggled toward the bottom of the league and back-to-back seasons and defensive efficiency. So they have to be better defensively. It's, you know, you, you have to be, but Powell's going to help that. Is Chauncey Billups going to be a guy that can coach the defense up to the point where they're like respectable? I mean, that has to be a huge jump for them. I just think that I, I like the combination of Lillard and, and McCollum. Um, they obviously have needed help with the wings and the bigs over the years. Uh, Nurkic hasn't been healthy. Zach Collins wasn't healthy. Uh, Covington is a really good defender, but didn't really show it last year. So I'm not putting any of the blame on CJ and Dane. And Covington it, didn't hit the shots he had to either. Yeah. It, I'm it's, calling him out for it. It's just a funny dynamic. And like, if I'm Portland, I'm in the front office and I'm obviously not. So I don't know every single detail that was there. Maybe they did try to go out and make a big move, but it's just hilarious when you have one of the best players in the league, top 10 without question. I think that there's, you know, how high do you want to put Damian Lillard? I think is up for discussion, but like you have to keep him there. He's a superstar. He's going to bring everyone from the Portland area to watch Blazers games. He's going to put butts in the seats. And when he says like, yo, like we've been trying, trying. we need more pieces. And they made it to the Western conference finals a couple of years ago. And it's just like, as is, wasn't good enough, but then they don't bring in anything that's putting them over the top either. And it's just like, I, I just expect more of the same from the Blazers, which is unfortunate, but I also think it's the sad reality of being a small market club and having to build through the draft, which is, you know, what they did with Lillard and McCollum, but, I, I don't know. Like none of these are sexy picks that they. Yeah. They're who they thought we thought they were. Is yeah, it's said. like you, you want them to do better. They deserve everything. You know, like you want to see Lillard in the finals. You want to see CJ get the recognition that he deserves. But like Larry Nance Jr., Cody Zeller, Tony Snell, Ben McLemore, they're not getting you there. It's a crappy bench. Yeah. Like let's call it what it is, and like somebody's gonna get hurt at some point. Like Nurkic. Uh, I love Nurkic, man. When he's healthy, he's one of my favorite players in the NBA, but he was bad last year. He, and he's, he's like never healthy for long stretches. And I mean, he needs to be uh, more involved. Chauncey did say he's going to be more involved on both ends of the floor. Like run things through him. He's a really special player. But like last year, the hell are you doing man 11 points and nine rebounds how about 18 and 13 with five assists like step up young man like it's it's time you know this, this guy should be in his prime right now he's 27 years old uh last year come back from that injury only played 24 minutes a game uh you know but the year before that 2019 or I, I, i'm sorry i want to go back to 2018-19 uh to, for a bigger sample size like the guy's doing 15 and a half a game. Like this guy's a really good all around basketball player. And I think for the Blazers to be at their best, he actually needs to be their second best player. Uh, not, 
CJ McCollum. And because you got to kind of like change at this point, you got to evolve. Everyone knows it's like Willard McCollum. That's your one, two, like get your big man involved, make the defense kind of like figure you out because they have this advantage of having Chauncey Billups in here. And it's time to find a new identity. Even if you're not going to like change your identity on as far as your roster goes, like try something else. And so I'm interested to see he's my guy who is the ultimate X factor for this team. But ultimately I look at this roster and I say too bad. It's not a Rucker park game because they go undefeated with like, you know, Dame, uh, Norman Powell, CJ McCollum, uh, Rob Covington and Yusuf Nurkic. Like that's a really nice starting five straight up if you're healthy. But the problem is one of these guys will get hurt at some point. And then if one, even if it's Robert Covington, who I think is the least important starter, even though he's a very important player on that team. Like if Robert Covington gets hurt, they're in trouble. If Norman Powell gets hurt, Tony Snell. If uh, CJ McCollum gets hurt, it's Ben McElmore. If Lillard gets hurt, it's Dennis Smith Jr. or Anthony Simons. Like your bench sucks. And you're going against some really, really deep benches in your own division. Because, I mean, that you could make an argument that the Timberwolves have some nice bench pieces. The Nuggets are extremely deep. The Jazz are extremely deep. I think the Blazers, we've seen who they are. And um, at this point, they really should consider some sort of trade. Like, let Dame be the shooting guard and trade for Ben Simmons. Get better defensively and uh, get a traditional point guard and see what you can do with a traditional point guard with unconventional size, see what you can do with something else. But like, it's not working. No disrespect to Dame. If anything, mad respect for Dame. No disrespect for CJ, but like, how many times are you going to try the same thing over and over and over and over and admit, hey, it's not working? Yeah, I know that McCollum has also been floated out there in trade rumors. Um, we've mentioned in the past, like Simmons for Kyrie would make sense for the Nets and the Sixers. I think that Simmons for McCollum would make sense for the Sixers and the Blazers. Um, there, there's just some, like, like you said, how many times can you do the same thing over again and expect different results? And I know that a couple of years ago when they made it to the Western Conference Finals, I think a lot of that was just based on circumstance. Uh, you know, they, they got a little bit lucky in that stretch there. But I mean, this isn't an NBA finals team. This isn't a team that you can expect to make it to the Western Conference finals. I mean, this is a team that can very easily get bounced in the first round. And I think that their ceiling is making it to the second round. And that, yeah. frankly, is just not good enough when you have someone as good as Damian Lillard. And that's not going to keep someone uh, as good as Damian Lillard, who wants to win a championship, as does everyone in this league. But I, I feel like, especially for him, when he's been there, oh, what is this, since 2012, and they really haven't made a ton of noise, it's, it's like the coaching change needed to happen. So maybe Chauncey turns it around. But if you just look at, you know, who they have body-wise and fit-wise, this is a, a, a slightly above-average team. I have them at 43 wins, Adam. I have them at 42. Uh, so we're right on the same train. It's 44 and a half. So I think what we're saying is take the under. Yeah. And I mean, that's slightly above 500, which is not good enough. But no. again, if you're Portland, what do you do? 
and I think it's just a little surprising that they have that mark because like <laughs> we just talked about like the Timberwolves have a nice starting five like the Timberwolves could be better than the Blazers I'm not that's not a prediction but it's a possibility like if you we refresh and go back to uh the Timberwolves starting lineup versus the Blazers like you could say that the Timberwolves have a better team on paper because they have a slightly better bench like they have a little bit more uh, depth at the guard position between, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, in uh, Anthony Edwards. Like, Edwards, you know, they're probably starting small for it, but, like, there's no lock that they are better than a team like the, uh, the Timberwolves because, like, the best players probably – well, it's probably Lillard, but maybe it's Towns at this point. I think you wouldn't be crazy to tell me Towns is better than Lillard. But then it's like, it's pretty much a, a two and a half guy show with Lillard, McCollum, and Nurkic when you have them. And then you look at other these other teams and it's like, all right, Timberwolves got Cat, they got Edwards, they got Russell, they got Beasley. Like there's teams creeping up and the, the Blazers got worse. They, they don't have an S cancer back. They don't have Rodney Hood back. Not that those guys were some huge difference maker, but they, it was depth. Carmelo's gone. Like Gary Trent Jr., I'm kind of surprised they gave up on him just because he's 22. You know, they, they tried to like do a win now move by going uh, and getting better defensively with Norman Powell. I, I do think that's a, a nice move for them, but they're too fragile, man. They're too fragile in. I don't think that they're a lock for the playoffs. I think they should make it. I think that they're a 10 through six team, but I'm not afraid of them. And I think that they're going to have some ugly moments this year. I think that there's going to be games when uh, they get their asses handed to them, frankly. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll push back a little bit. I think it is ludicrous to say that Carl Anthony Towns is on the same level as Damian Lillard, but you know, it's, I don't think it's crazy to say that the Timberwolves could have a deeper, more complete roster if everyone stays healthy and plays the same, you know, at least has more than eight games played together uh, throughout the season. So it just, uh, I would put the Blazers as like the most disappointing team in the off season. Okay. uh, For sure. And it's just, you know, Lillard's obviously a superstar. Can they play better than 43 wins? Sure. But like, man, my patience would be growing really thin if I was a Blazers fan. And it's just how many times are we going to see this movie? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. I mean, they just like, just get better, but I don't know, maybe it's really hard. Maybe they don't have a, the market for that, but I don't know. I'm also kind of curious. I'm sick of excuses, man. Like the bucks just won the championship. Small market. Yeah. yeah, like go do something. Yeah, yeah. there are other, other small market teams that are playing a lot better than the Blazers, and there are other yeah. small teams that are a lot worse than the Blazers. But right. you know, with with how uh, this is a superstar driven league, and when you have a superstar, you'd like them to play better than what they've been playing. You know, who'd be a perfect fit there, Kyrie Irving. Why? Kyrie. Because you 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 put him in Portland where there are no rules. He, he, he'd be the mayor. He'd run for mayor. What, what did they change the name to Chaz or something, right? Didn't they do something weird like that? I have no idea. I've been out of the, the loop in Portland for... Portland, like, 
Portland's a different country now or something. Keep I don't Portland remember exactly weird. what happened. Yeah, keep Portland weird is one of their uh, little slogans, and uh, Kyrie Irving would certainly fit that mold. Let's see. Yeah, they like tried to change it to Chaz. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, something with some protests. It's, it's just it's the most woke place in the in the world. You know, uh, they like Kyrie would go there and he would just love how woke everyone is. And you could see Kyrie could be on Portlandia. You know, he could be. He loves that stuff. You know. They just they protest uh, a lot there. Yeah. And I'm not knocking that by any stretch, but like it's a hipster town. Kyrie's a hipster. Get get Kyrie out there and then let him get him a plaid shirt. Let him take some time off. Some good fishing out there. He can he can rest up and only play half the games. All right. That's enough of me just randomly <laughs> hating on Kyrie Irving for one episode. An episode we're not even supposed to talk about him. So I'm, I'm really off the mark here. Let's get it back on track. Uh, let's get it back on the track to the Mile High City, uh, where the Denver Nuggets are very good at sports. I have them at 51 wins at them, so 51 and 31. And a lot of that, I, I a lot higher on them, actually, if it weren't for the injury of Jamal Murray, who is going to, from what I've heard, return in April, hopefully. So that's, I mean a whole regular season for the most part without Jamal Murray, um, who I think it's very safe to say he's our second best player. Will he be their second best player in the future with the emergence of Michael Porter Jr.? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but, you know, you're missing out on 21 points a game with Jamal Murray and a guy who is really good in the playoffs. Really good. He also good. makes Jokic better. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing we don't talk about with Jamal Murray is him and Jokic are – they have – like a Stockton Malone level two man game. Right. Yeah. Murray, really athletic, really good shooter, really uh, can drive and flip it up, uh, can hammer it home on a couple of guys too. Just a really complete player. I really loved his game. And I'm still on the record uh, as saying that I wish the Celtics would have taken him at three in 2016 instead of Jalen Brown, but it's worked out for both sides. Um, I'm looking at Michael Porter Jr. really, Adam, to make a, a leap again. So 19 points a game on crazy efficient shooting numbers, 54% from the field, 45% from three. That's so historically he, great. He was outstanding for them, which is, you know, there was no question about this guy's talent. It was all about the back injury. Is he mm. going to, how long is he going to hold up? And he was really good last year. So you have to like that as a Nuggets fan. Um, you get another season of Aaron Gordon. Um, he was a really good addition for them uh, in the middle of the season last year. I do like the – well, not additions. They were on the team, but re-signing Will Barton and then Austin Rivers as well. I think that those are really critical pieces for them off the bench. I do like the addition of Jeff Green that they brought over from the Nets. He gave them 11 points a game last year in Brooklyn and played uh, really well in the playoffs. So Good Jeff stretch, Green, yeah. Yeah, uh, Jeff Green is a really versatile wing uh, who can play you know, kind of like the three and the four if you need him to. Um, and this is a team that's just really well-rounded sixth in offensive and defensive efficiency from a season ago. So the, the real big caveat for me is just how good is Jamal Murray when he returns? When does Jamal Murray return? What do you get from him when he returns and how does he fit into the mold? But you have to like the prospects of a healthy Jokic, Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Come playoff time. 
because I think they'll be there, obviously, yeah, even though they're Murray's going to be out for you know pretty much the entire regular season. So I'm a little lower on their win total, and it has everything to do with two things. Jamal Murray's absence, and also the Nuggets, they have some bad habits, and, and they're, they're few and far between, but every once in a while they get lazy on defense. Like, they're a good defensive team, but I don't think they're consistent enough defensively uh, for me to call them, like, a, a great defensive team, but a lot of that comes down to uh, the absence of Jamal Murray, who quietly was one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA before he got hurt and someone who, who really is quick enough uh, to contest. He is one of the best closeout three point uh, defending guys in the NBA. Uh, I think that just like last year, it's really hard to match up a t- with a team whose point guard is their center. Uh, but I, I have them at 47 wins. I have them at 47 wins. The line's 47 and a half. I love this team. I lived in the Denver area for just under two years. And I think that you can make a case that they're the most fun team to watch in the NBA last year. They were eighth in uh, points for eighth in points against that's 115 points for 110 points against. And it's so ironic because like if Jamal Murray doesn't get hurt, this team might be in the finals. This team maybe could have won it all against Milwaukee they played Milwaukee really damn well last year but you know there's like some built-in question marks we already talked about uh, Jamal Murray missing some time and with Michael Porter Jr. in the playoffs he was moving like the Tin Woodman you know from Wizard of Oz like this guy couldn't move (laughs) you know and uh, he was clearly dealing with some injuries and playing through those. So I don't think that that like is something you can necessarily blame on him. And you can't say that he isn't good at moving because he can certainly move when he's healthy, but like there, there are injury concerns. I think though, mark my words, he will have at least one 50 point game this season. Like he's going to have games where he absolutely goes bananas. I think he has a potential uh, to be an all-star best case scenario. I already said, I think they have 47 wins, but best case scenario for the nuggets is uh, they're very good without Murray because of uh, the play off of the excellent point guard depth. They have with uh, Faku. And um, I always want to say Malik Beasley, but it's not Malik Beasley anymore. Uh, Monty Morris, Monty Morris. There it is. Yeah, you have really good guard depth there. Will Barton also wasn't healthy last year. He only played 52 games. But you can have a healthy Barton who was essentially their other point guard before Jamal Murray got hurt. And the the guy who uh, the year before was basically uh, their their playmaker off the bench uh, when – or not off the bench, but the playmaker when Murray wasn't on the floor. So you have enough playmakers to get by. So let's say that the Nuggets – are able to be just fine and Nikola Jokic plays like Nikola Jokic and then Murray comes back they don't miss a beat and they're healthy then you're looking at a 60 win team maybe the number one seed in the west like they have a they have championship potential they have legitimate contender potential but a lot of things have to go right uh but it's very ironic that you get Jam- uh, you get Aaron Gordon 
and then Jamal Murray gets hurt. Because for a second there, you saw how special this team could be when they're all healthy. The return of the two-man game of Jokic and Murray on the dribble handoff, what you're going to be able to get in your secondary uh, and third option offense, off ball, what that's going to force the defense to, uh, it pretty much puts them in a mousetrap when you have to worry about both of those guys because both of them can score from outside or they can score from inside. And they're both very, very hard to stop in either place. And so defense is going to have to focus on them, but that's going to leave someone open. And this is the team, I believe they were eighth in assists per game last year. Yeah, eighth, or I'm sorry, fifth in assists per game. Like, it's not just Murray and Jokic who are good passers. Like, Aaron Gordon's a nice passer for a, a bigger player. Um, Barton's a very good passer. And so the identity fits. Another guy who's a really good passer is Bull Bull. And we're going to see how much we get to see him. But, geez, in a perfect world, Bull Bull gets minutes. And then you have these nightmare lineups where you could have Bol Bol at the four and uh, Jokic at the five and then Porter's at the three. And all of a sudden you're looking at like 6'11", 7'2", 6'10". And then you, you throw Barton out there at the shooting guard at 6'6". And Murray's a big guard at 6'4". Like they're huge. They pass well. They're good on offense. They're good on defense. Uh, they space the floor as good as anyone in the NBA. 37.7% uh, from three-point last year. Uh, I don't think it's a fairy tale world, though. And that's why I think 47 wins. But all that to say, once the playoffs start, if the Nuggets are healthy, do not think that the Lakers or anyone is just going to walk all over them. I think when healthy, this team actually has the best potential, not the best team, but I think they have the best potential in the Western Conference. I like your win total a little bit better than mine. Uh, 47, I think, is a good conservative regular season number for sure. Um, uh, one of the things I want to point out, Monty Morris, 38% from three, so a good outside shooter for them as well. Uh, this is a team kind of similar to the Lakers where – I don't think their regular season performance is going to be an indication of how well they can play in the playoffs. I absolutely think that if everyone else stays healthy, because Michael Porter Jr.'s back is always kind of like a ticking time bomb. Is it going to hold up? Is it not going to hold up? But if there's no issue with him, Gordon is healthy. Uh, Jokic is healthy. Barton, Rivers, Green, um, Composo, also kind of a frustrating guy uh, for other Super teams. Super annoying. Yeah, people hate uh, being picked up by him. Yeah, when you have all these pieces, Jermichael Green has also been a, a serviceable bench player for them. If they can keep that core healthy and together, and then you get Jamal Murray right in time for the playoffs and you know, maybe an earlier return in March, uh, April, maybe he can get a few regular season games under his belt. This is a very complete, dangerous team that could absolutely make it to the NBA Finals out of the West. All right. Yeah, I think you said it very well there. Uh, I don't have anything else to add other than as a fan of fun, someone who enjoys fun. More Bobo, please. More Bobo. The world needs it. Uh, moving on up. This is the team that is the second best team in the division, but will have the best record. Uh, and they are playing some sweet music in Utah. Uh, that's the Utah Jazz. And I got them at 53 wins. 
I'm at 54. So one higher. And I have this team as the best team out West from a regular season win loss uh, record standpoint, which is just looking at the, uh, uh, the, the way they finished last year, 52 and 20 in a shortened season. So I think they kind of, you know, regress a little bit just in terms of the overall wins in the regular season. But I think the Utah Jazz are a phenomenal team. They're deep, uh, top to bottom. You have to love the numbers here, Foo. Like most three-point ma- uh, three-point field goals made last season, that's not going to hurt you. And the best at guarding it. And they shot the fourth highest percentage. So it's not just like it was a volume thing. Um, they make a lot and they're efficient at it. And that yeah. is the, the game basically in today's NBA yeah. uh, best rebounding team as well. And that's critical for just controlling pace, not giving teams second chance opportunities. If you can control the pace, you shoot well, you don't turn the ball over, you control the glass. That's a recipe for success in the league. Um, I think one of the things, and I, th- I think it's probably the reason why I'm a little bit higher on the jazz than I was last year is given all those regular season numbers that we just threw out there for what we saw last regular season, the reason why they didn't win in the playoffs or for whatever reason is just, they didn't hit the shots. Like the shots were there. They just didn't hit them. And so I don't really think too much into that. It's kind of like, okay, if you are what you are through the regular season, it's like, you can have a bad series. It happens. So I just don't think that like, they're going to be a great three-point shooting team and then fail again in the playoffs. And I know that there's an issue with Gobert in the playoffs. Some player or some teams and players have played him off the floor despite being a defensive player of the year, a uh, winner and candidate seemingly year after year. So maybe that's a concern. But um, they have five returners who shot better than 38% from three. And that's really good. So let's see. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. You had a uh, – Ingles, Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Uh, Uh, I know Clarkson was under that mark. Gobert isn't going to shoot there. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is really good. Royce O'Neal shot better than 38% as well. I believe the only piece that they lost from a season ago who shot 38% or better was George Niang, who is now in Philly. So uh, Mike Conley can also shoot the three at a very uh, efficient clip. So Yeah, Conley 41% last year. Yeah, Eagles and then 45. I, I love the additions that they made in the offseason, too. This was a team who was already really, really good and really deep. And then they bring in Eric Paschal, who had, you know, flashes of brilliance with the Warriors. Uh, I've always loved Rudy Gay's game. So he's a good scoring piece off the bench. And then I know they're kind of similar players, but get, adding Hassan Whiteside. Oh, he's a perfect there. backup goes to the bench they're very similar so again like come playoff time you could play those guys both off the floor depending on going small and and going with speed and shooting but in terms of regular season and finishing at the top of the conference you got you know too deep at pretty much every position and I'm not saying too deep just because you have backups and you have bodies like too deep and very capable guys yeah just about every single position so uh like Conley, Mitchell, Clarkson, Pascal, Gay, Whiteside, Gobert, Bogdanovich, Ingles. I mean, like, these are all very good players. And especially they play really well in their roles. And I think that that is kind of the mark of a really good team is the unselfishness and the the, um, being committed to winning as a team and kind of putting everything aside for the greater good of 
uh, finishing with a, with a good record and making deep playoff runs. And Quinn Snyder, top three coach in the league, if not like the best coach in the yeah. league. Yeah. So you have a perfect mix. And I really think the only reason why they didn't succeed last year in the playoffs was, again, those shots weren't falling and Paul George and Terrence Mann just went crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I blame it on, I think there's a good chance they would have won the NBA championship. If Donovan Mitchell, like, he got hurt so many times in that series. Like, he, he had the sideways foot a couple times. Like, he, he kept getting dinged up. He was still heroic. Uh, in the playoffs last year, I got his numbers pulled up in front of me. He was 32% or 32 uh, points per game, 43 and a half from deep. And believe it or not, obviously, that was a, tough little stretch at the end there and it seemed like they almost kind of like lost their identity at times uh credit to the Clippers and credit to T. Lou there but they had the second best three-point percentage in the playoffs last year still like they didn't lose their identity it just kind of like they got beat by uh I I'm still scratching my head to be honest about I I don't know how they lost that series I I thought they were going to win it uh but yeah, they were absolutely terrific uh, going into last season when they said, hey, like it turns out we're really good on catch and shoot three pointers. Let's double down on that. And then they wind up being truly the best shooting team in the NBA and a roster to do it, um, where they kind of had some issue in the playoffs, ironically, was rebounding. They were 10th in rebounds per game uh, last year in the postseason, which is not at all where you expected that team to be, considering they were number one in the whole league in the regular season. Uh, but the Utah Jazz are like the Portland Trailblazers in the way that, like, you kind of know what you're getting. But what you're getting is very, very, very good. And the Utah Jazz got a chance to contend for the championship. I think Donovan Mitchell is one of those guys who's starting to show you just how special he is. I think that the, being under the tutelage of Dwayne Wade could really, really change uh, the situation for Donovan Mitchell. Last year, 26 points per game, uh, four rebounds per game, five assists. Hey, call me crazy, but I think Donovan Mitchell might be a dark horse MVP candidate if he takes some steps forward and gets that up to 32 points per game, which I think is within reach for him. Uh, and he's just a, an efficient scorer from all over the floor. And so if for the Jazz to take that next step and go from a really, really good team to true championship contender, they're going to need Donovan Mitchell to show that he is a true superstar and they're going to need him to carry him uh, them at times. But when you look at the entire team, I do think that the Utah Jazz are the deepest team in the league. Uh, the fact that you have Hassan Whiteside to come in when you aren't going to have Gobert on the floor, you pretty much have the exact same style of player. He, Hassan Whiteside is essentially a poor man's Rudy Gobert. He's a very poor man's Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert's unreal. He's got a seven nine wingspan. He's he's seven foot two. He everyone's afraid to come within ten feet of him because he will block everything. Rudy go uh, Rudy Gay, a perfect addition for this Jazz team because it, let's say that they are running Gobert and Whiteside on the floor. They go small. Well, guess what? You're putting Rudy Gay in at center then. You're, or you're putting Royce O'Neal, who I love Royce O'Neal. I want to say he shot somewhere around 47% from three last year. Uh, let's take a look. Okay, just 
just uh, 44, but still, no, I'm sorry, that's 38. Uh, 38% uh, from three last year, 44% from the field. But I mean, you just have so many guys that you're going to be able to have outside on the perimeter. Uh, the whole team is elite passers. Mike Conley, I'm glad that he's uh, sticking around because you saw how much better they are with him and Mitchell healthy. But both those guys were fighting through so many injuries last year that the Jazz team we saw in the playoffs wasn't a very accurate indication of how good the Jazz actually were last year. They were a team that should have gotten more love throughout the season. I think they're on everyone's radar now. The question is, are they able to take that next step? Yeah, to, to explain the uh, lack in rebounding production in the playoffs, I think a lot of that just has to do with playing Gobert off the floor. Because this is a guy that's getting you double-digit rebounds since his third year in the league. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, was that eight years in the league? And he's been a double-digit rebounder six of those years. Um, well above 10, mark, uh, 10 rebounds a game. Uh, the blocks are there, too more than two blocks a game since his second year in the season leads the league in uh, field goal percentage last year, like two of the last three years, I should say. So I think if Gobert can just figure out a way to stay on the floor. And I think that comes with, you know, maybe stepping out to the perimeter, um, maybe working on his footwork and uh, lateral movement in the off season. Cause I think the thing with him is like, they just kind of plugged him in down low and then everyone was able to kill him from the outside and use some uh, dribble drive, uh, kick out kind of kind of action to uh, play him off the floor and uh, get some of those outside shots to fall. So if he can just, dare I say, be like a better perimeter defender or just be a little bit more versatile, I think that that'll pay huge dividends for the Jazz. But again, on paper, in a regular season, I like them as the best team in the West. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't argue it, especially because the regular season is just a different animal. Uh, it's 82 games, and when you're the deepest team in the league and you have three guys in your starting lineups who are all-stars, I mean, Conley finally went to an all-star game, and then, like, the other two guys are Joe Ingles and Bojan Bogdanovic, like, get out of here. That's a – you are loaded. Yeah, so I think that they're uh, – Really damn good. I think the reason I would say the Nuggets have a higher ceiling is just because the star power. I think Jokic is the best player. I mean, he's the MVP, right? Uh, I, I think that that's inevitable. We're going to see some epic battles between those two. And it could be a bit of a coin flip when the Nuggets are healthy, who the better team is. But as we discussed it or earlier today, but not in this show, we're not super high on the Los Angeles Lakers. When you look at a team like the Utah Jazz, it's a, I think them and the Heat are the two best built teams in the NBA. That doesn't mean they're the best team in the NBA, but as far as roster construction and team identity goes, you really can't do much better. And they're both elite defensive teams with shooting everywhere. And that's how you win. That's how the Heat got the, the finals in the bubble. Uh, that's what made the Utah Jazz the best team in basketball in the regular season last year. I have the Jazz at 54 wins, so just one win uh, higher than the Sun. Okay. And the mark on them is uh, 52 and a half. And I have them, I think I have them at 53. 
Yeah, just pulling that up there. Yeah, 53. So I think that they're uh, they're right up in it, man. Um, they have a, a absolutely ridiculous ceiling. Uh, they they could certainly win the championship, but if they do, that means Donovan Mitchell just goes absolutely bananas. This is a team that can easily get 60 wins, in my opinion, especially, too, because I think they can take advantage of their division, uh, you know, especially with the Nuggets being kind of what they are in the regular season without Murray. If you're the Jazz, you have to take advantage of that. Portland maybe being a little bit down this year. Minnesota ascending, but still a, a team that the Jazz should handle for sure. And then Oklahoma City being, like I said, maybe one of the worst teams in the in the entire league. So there's a lot of opportunity for the Jazz because right now I don't think there are question marks. I don't think that there are injuries to deal with. I think this is a team that can really solidify itself as the top team in the Western Conference. And then it's just a matter of can they play to that same potential when it matters most and other teams are healthy and other teams have more experience in that department. But right now, my favorite uh, out West right now. What Would you say that they have the highest uh, basement? Yeah, because I, I just don't see where they could go wrong, really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, unless you have injuries that wipe out, like, a, a Conley and a Mitchell or yeah. a, a Gobert and a Mitchell. You know, like, I feel like there has to be injuries that could derail this team with multiple guys. Because even if you take out a guy or two, they still have the depth. It's just yeah. a matter of like how long. So safe to say the highest floor, I think that that is a safe assumption. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going up to 55, going up to 55. Okay. Yeah. I, like I said, 50, I mean, I, the, what was the over under 53 and a half, 53? Uh, I think it was uh 52 and a half. It was 52 and a half. I would hammer the over. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a no brainer. What did they have? 52 wins last year? They had, yeah, 52 and 20 last year. Yeah, come on. With 10 more games, you don't think that they can win one more in there? Yeah, come on. Over, take the over. All right, well, I think that concludes our uh, season preview series. It does. The next time we record uh, will be our, I mean, I guess that's the division preview series. Next time we record will probably be our, season preview we'll talk about mvps we'll talk about uh you know standings final standings uh and we reserve the right to change our win loss totals up to that point but we'll have a final projection uh one through ten out east and west and um that should be really fun but yeah man uh we got through these pretty quickly this is always a fun time of year just it's it's like getting ready for christmas you know, you get your list together and uh, you know that the party is coming, but Christmas is just one day basketball season in several months. Yeah. And then you get basketball on Christmas. <laughs> Even better. That's double Christmas, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I want for Christmas is everyone to leave me alone. <laughs> just let me watch the games. <laughs> all right, my friend. Uh, we got to give a shout out to Evan Butrus, the Wax Cowboy. Uh, check him out. He's on the gram. Slide in the DMs if you're looking to get some graphic design work done. He'll get it done for you. And uh, if you like the show, please give us a friendly rating. Leave us a kind review. And we will see you next time. Happy hooping, ladies and gentlemen.